HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network since 2009. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. This is What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer, and today we're talking all things organic, because to my immense surprise, organic is still kind of a burr in the backside of many um, Republicans, apparently. I don't know, maybe Democrats too, but it seems like Republicans really have it bad. So to the, to the end of this discussion, uh, I have enlisted Tom Chapman, who is the CEO and executive director of the Organic Trade Association. See what I mean, folks? We got the Mac Daddy here, right? Tom Chapman joined the Organic Trade Association as CEO and Executive Director in April of 2022, bringing 20 years of industry experience with expertise in policy and certification. He represents both the association and the organic trade in an official capacity when interfacing with members of Congress, the executive branch, media, stakeholders, and strategic allies. Tom has served and chaired the National Organic Standards Board and the California Certified Organic Farm Certification Services Management Committee. That's a mouthful. He has also served on the board of Mercaris and on the California Organic Products Advisory Committee. Tom's currently serves on USDA's Agricultural Policy Advisory Committee, which means that there is a slight chance that some of the um, rules that he's hoping to introduce into the Farm Bill may actually get passed, but we'll see what happens. Um, Tom, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, let's start by telling us a little bit more about the Organic Trade Association and sort of what your role is in the industry. Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, the Organic Trade Association is the the um, association to represent organic trade in the U.S. There's a couple other folks that represent uh, individual areas, uh, individual sectors, but we represent everyone in the supply chain from farmers to growers, shippers to uh processors, to brands, to retailers, to certification agents, everyone in the supply chain and across all sectors as well. So livestock, dairy, produce, fiber, personal care, consumer product goods, um, we represent it all. And, um, you know, our mission is to grow organic and to protect organic. We 
um, focus on education, on advocacy, on regulatory compliance, helping our members understand the rules and how to comply with them, uh, navigating issues, educating them on emerging issues, investing in science and research and education, promoting organic to consumers and to companies looking to go organic, and really just trying to help grow and protect this marketplace. Wow. <laughs> and, you know, the more information that comes out about conventionally produced products, I have to say, the more I appreciate what the Organic Trade Association is doing for us. I mean, if if only we could make it the same price point as everything else, because honestly, I, you know, I hesitate to use deodorant. I hesitate to use sunscreen. I mean, there's so many products that scare me because there's so many stories that have come out in the last few decades. I mean, who would have thought that baby powder would cause ovarian cancer, right? I mean, yeah. you know, it's stuff like that that just makes you go, whoa, what am I really putting on, on or in my body? So I appreciate that. Yeah, definitely. And then likewise, in, in the farm landscape, you know, what's what's being applied to the field and, and what's happening out there and the workers who are, Absolutely. Uh, you know, tilling and, and, and out there and then coming home to their families. It's important that we look out for, you know, our health and safety and the environment in all aspects. Absolutely. I mean, I hate to think what's happening to all these farm workers who are, you know, breathing uh, glyphosate. Um, you know, 2,4-D, I mean, all of the chemicals that we use on our fields to produce conventional uh, agricultural products, very scary, absolutely. And that goes right into our meat and dairy. Ay, ay, ay. Anyway, let's talk about, there have been a couple of amendments that were proposed to Congress regarding organic standards in animal agriculture. And I wanted to um, unpack that a little bit because there's been, I mean, as we'll talk about later on in the show, there's just been so much uh, foot dragging on even creating organic standards around animal agriculture and other other categories. But what what are the current organic standards for for animal agriculture? Yeah, the current standards require that organic animals are raised in living conditions that accommodate their natural behaviors, that they're fed organic feed, uh, that they're not administered any hormones or unnecessary antibiotics, and that they. Um, it also lays out standards for their healthcare practices, outdoor access, and living conditions. But even within these standards, there's um, there's room for interpretation. And they were first published in, in 2002, and even before they were published, the National Organic Standards Board had made recommendations to clarify it. And over the last 20 years, there's been you know merging different definitions about some of these areas and other areas that aren't as well-defined. And so there's been a push to update these standards to make sure that everyone is producing against the same standard and consumers are getting what they expect. Right. And getting what they're paying for, because, of course, there is a higher premium for the cost of those animals raised on those organic standards because they take longer to come to market. They have to be fed for longer and they have to be allowed space in which to exhibit their natural behaviors. Right. So it's Correct. there's a there's a reason why that price point is different from conventionally raised ag animal Very ag. So. Um, yeah. so what what are the 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 right now uh there are a couple of legislators and it looks like they may have been staved off for the time being um but they are attempting to change some of those standards. What what are they trying to do with these amendments? Yeah, I mean, the amendments are, are fairly draconian. They're really just prohibiting USDA from using any funds to implement or enforce these new rules. And these new rules, I mean, I say they're new. They're not new. They were proposed right. in 
2001, and and you know it's been a, a first recommended in 2001. They were first proposed by the USDA to be um, finalized rules in 2016, 2017, and we've been fighting ever since then to just get them across the finish line. Wow. So they're not they're not new rules, but this route itself, they're not looking to change the Organic Food Productions Act that allows the USDA to regulate livestock conditions in organic. They're really looking to, you know, change and and insert themselves in, in in the process that will really, you know, bring organic to a halt. Organic is, you know, a market that exists because producers want to produce a certain way and consumers are willing to pay for products produced that way. And so it's important that standards always meet consumer expectations and producer right. expectations. And that's why we have a, a public stakeholder process in setting standards. This is shortcutting that process, right? The, that process has occurred. Um, they have made recommendations and Congress is saying, no, we don't want it. Or these individual congressmen are saying, no, we don't want it. We're just going to, you know, cut it out, even though Congress has mandated and given that authority to the USDA. So, you know, since they're trying to just cut the USDA out, to hamstring the ability to to even fund or research, or if I'm understanding this correctly, any sort of implementation of organic standards, right? What is, why is this such a, why is this such an ongoing battle? I mean, you just said that it's since 2001, they've been negotiating these standards. Then they get to a point where they're, pretty happy with those standards in 2016, 17, right? And then now we have yet another challenge to this. What is the purpose of challenging this ever-growing market that is clearly here to stay? I mean, you know, people want this. So why do these, you know, particular individuals, might as well say who they are, Marshall and Self, I think, are the two names of these Republican representatives who have introduced these amendments, which I don't seem to be going anywhere, but still, I mean, what is the death wish here for organics? I don't get it. Yeah, I mean, organic has always been an outsider at the table. We've increasingly, you know, taken a bigger seat at that table over time. Um, and But that, that legacy, I think, still lives on. And I wouldn't say, you know, all conventional ag is against organic. Many of our own producers are split operations, right, who are seeking uh-huh. risk and market diversification and grow a portion of their crops or livestock as organic and a portion of their crops or livestock as conventional or their, you know, processed products and, and other things. Um, and so we're seeing that as a big part of our, our membership. We also see, you know, adoption of organic practices every day by conventional folks under the banner of climate smart agriculture or regenerative. So practices like cover crops, rotations, hedgerows, biodiversity, all of these were always requirements in organic. You now see them coming up as you know radical new ideas under regenerative, and they've always been there. Um, so that that's you know we see a lot of organic being incorporated and kind of a crossover with conventional agriculture, um, but there's still you know, especially when it comes to animal welfare and, you know, uh, all the controversy now going on with PropTel and the EATS Act, uh, there right. still seems to be, you know, something here that uh, any sort of different form of agriculture is a threat to, to everyone in conventional. That's really not the case. I mean, organic is a different marketplace. It's voluntary. Producers can opt in or opt out of that marketplace. They can still sell their base commodity, whether they're organic or not. And consumers can opt in or opt out of that marketplace, you know, and choose to either buy organic and pay the premium or, or you know, buy conventionally. 
Right, right. Well, that's, I think that's the main thing is that the organic standards are voluntary. Nobody is forcing these down the throats of Tyson and Smithfield, right? I mean, nobody's saying you have to do it this way. In fact, they themselves are finding ways in which to enter that marketplace and tout a certain product line as organic, right? So I don't, I don't really get it. It's, it's really quite astonishing but i i was stunned by on your website there was a chart that showed the different timelines uh for adopting or revising organic standards in a variety of industries you know including what we've what you've already outlined fisheries livestock cosmetics personal products but livestock and poultry standards for example have been proposed practice standard rulemaking ongoing that has been in process for 21 years mushroom production 22 years, apiculture, beekeeping, 22, aquaculture, 16, personal care and pet food, 14 and 15 years. What is going on here? Why is it so hard to create and implement these standards? I'm just baffled by that. Yeah, I mean, organic is different. So we are probably one of the only industries that came and lobbied Congress and the U.S. government to say, please come regulate us. And we did that to have a common standard, to have federal enforcement so that when a consumer picked up an organic product, they would have faith and trust in that product because it came with a full faith and trust and, and enforcement of the U.S. government. But, but the part that's disconnected is that the U.S. regulatory system is not set up to manage a voluntary market. It's set to minimize regulation. And Despite organic being voluntary, that doesn't change the inertia of the U.S. government bureaucracy when it comes to setting up regulation, that they really are anti uh, a regulatory framework. Compounding this is the law allows for updates to the organic standard, but it doesn't require them. So most of the rules, I mean, the rule has been updated four times since it was originally published, but most of those updates have come from either congressional interventions, so them changing the actual base law, not appropriations, but the base law to say, hey, you need to increase enforcement in this area, or um, you know, audits by the Office of Inspector General saying, hey, there's some inconsistencies here, something needs to change. And so that's really what's happened to date, and that's not a sustainable format going forward. So this is one of our top farm bill priority areas is to address this issue, to find a way to um, continuously improve these standards. Right. Well, to that point, um, you have introduced a new piece of legislation called the Continuous Improvement and Accountability in Organic Standards Act, CIAO. So the purpose of this would be to streamline this effort or create standards, which then would somehow pass muster and be, you know, implemented promptly as opposed to within 22 years? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So um, we, 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 we took a look at what's done internationally. We took a look at what's done in um, standard practices on the private side. So, you know, there's a couple groups, ANSI, American National Standards Institute, that does a lot of American-based uh, standards are, are held publicly. There's the ISO, um, International Standard Organization, that sets everything from like your credit card size to barcodes and things like that. And both of those groups require that all standards be reviewed once every five years and updated as, as deemed necessary. And so we're taking that best practice and trying to add that into the Organic Food Productions Act. And it's really what we're pro- proposing is a two-step process. It's uh, first a prior- prioritization plan of which the USDA would go out and seek stakeholder input 
you know, go to their advisory committee, seek their input, and then set uh, uh, an agenda of updates that will occur over the next five years. And then they go out and follow the Administrative Procedures Act and finalize those items in the next five years. Um, and this gives government, you know, accountability and stakeholders comfort that, you know, they have a chance to offer feedback, that um, what they're being, what's being prioritized will be implemented and scaled to accommodate the, you know, necessary compliance over the next five years. And then that process restarts and, you know, you continuously improve these standards over time instead of these, you know, large changes once every 10 years or what have you once we get a fight completed. Wow. So to go back to this issue of the 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 process in which these standards are formulated and then tried to push across the finish line with Congress and with the USDA, I'm sorry to sound so stupid, but I mean, it's really the convolution, the number of steps involved, the number of people involved is really kind of breathtaking. So when you when you say you update these standards every five years, who's who are your partners? Who is going to help you identify in you know in every one of the categories that we've discussed already, which does not include just animal agriculture or just feed crops, but also personal care products, et cetera, et cetera. Like, how do you get to those standards, and then how do you codify them, and then why is it so hard for the USDA to implement them? I'm just I'm sorry to be so stuck on that, but what is the problem? Yeah, I mean, generally, unless authority needs to be changed, Congress doesn't need to be involved in the process. They just have because USDA hasn't been able to complete the process uh, on their own. And, you know, Congress has, you know, the power of the purse. And so they, they, they you know, yield a lot of influence. Um, but but what, what, you know, what needs to happen is, you know, there's the USDA who conducts rulemaking and they have a whole bunch of agencies within them. The National Organic Program runs the organic program, but, you know, every every single regulatory thing needs to go through the Office of General Counsel, through um, several other agencies, paperwork reduction, through, you know, impacts on small businesses, on uh, underserved right. communities, what have you. It goes through a whole series of analysis, and then it goes over to the Office of Management and Budget over in the White House, and they do an economic analysis of it and how it you know, aligns with White House priorities, and then comes back to USDA, and there's also a public comment process and, 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 um, and all that. So there's a lot of steps um, in the process. The, the problem we have isn't really, you know, is, is with completing those steps on the USDA side. The National Organic Standards Board is a stakeholder board appointed by the USDA that represents, you know, broadly the organic sector. And it has seats from farmers, from processors, retailers, interest groups, uh, including consumers, environmentalists, um, scientists. So you have this group that's making these recommendations uh, and they're just going unanswered. So when we looked oh. at this problem, this, you know, OTA didn't see this problem alone. We worked out with, you know, we reached out to all the other groups that have interests in this area. So this is, you know, an area that we have broad support on. The coalition supporting um, the Chow program includes, you know, clearly OTA, but we also work with the Organic Farmers Association, who, you know, mostly represents small, medium-sized farmers and their specific interests exclusively. We worked with the National Organic Coalition, who represents, you know, a series of um, uh, generally environmentalists and, and consumer associations interested in the organic space, as well as some industry folks. Uh, but we also worked with the Organic Produce Association, who, you know, represents um, 
by and large, a lot of hydroponic organic producers, which, you know, the last two groups generally don't get along with. And especially Crop Farm Bill Alliance, who includes, you know, major conventional, especially crop groups like IFPA, the National Fresh Produce Association, Western Growers, Northwest Horticulture, because um, they all have, you know, members who also have organic interests. And this wide coalition, I just uh, heard from our vice president of, um, of, of government affairs that, uh, that we also have the American Sea Trade Association now as part of supporting this this coal, this this chow bill, and you know they generally also support a lot of genetic modified seeds which aren't allowed in organic. But we all see the need for updates to these organic standards over time. That there needs to be a mechanism and a process, and that you know without without having that in place, organic standards will you know continue to struggle to take their rightful place as part of uh, American agriculture. For sure. And then there's also the the business of of companies sort of co-opting. I read, you know, I have a lot of sort of correspondence and Facebook friends and stuff in the organic biz. And they talk a lot about the co-oping of organic standards and the watering down of organic standards by large corporations. I wondered if you could address that for a second. Like what are they? I mean, we're all what I mean, all of this is coming to the the point that we need to have everyone be on the same page and consumers can then be confident that the standards are what they are. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I hear those complaints. I just don't know what to point to, to, to say that they're, they're true. I mean, the standards have only been changed four times and those hmm. four times have all made them more strict, right? It's the strengthening of organic enforcement. It was uh, a rule about pasture access for, for, um, for livestock. It was a rule about the origin of livestock, and it was a rule about residue testing. That's the four times the standards have been updated. They've all made it um, stronger. So uh-huh. the standards aren't going down. What is changing is the landscape of, of organic companies, You know, larger and larger companies, multinational companies. Everyone wants to get involved in organic. And so you see that organic is not just you know small, privately held companies or um, you know, small farmers, that there's also medium and large size farmers in organic, and there's also multinational you know, companies like um, Kellogg's, Danone, um, you know, General Mills that all have uh, organic brands underneath them as well. But right. they're all still complying and, and, you know, working against the same standards. Um, we have to take a short break here. We'll be right back with Tom Chapman talking more about organic standards. Really interesting. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City, Long Island, and Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. 
So, Tom, when you were just mentioning, you know, all of these different um, multinational companies that also have organic um, product lines, what is my question about this? Um, I guess that's what people are talking about. Like, I, what I, I guess what I want to get at is with a big corporation like that, you know, they can say, yes, we are complying with these national organic standards. Where is the regu- I mean, who is minding the store? Like, how do you test? How do you verify? How do you know that they are doing what they say they're doing? Yep. So the organic standards require that every entity in the supply chain be um, have an organic systems plan and be certified by a third-party certification agent that's accredited by the USDA on an annual basis. So if you are a multinational trying to sell a product, you need to source that. So all the way back to the farmers, your farmers for the, you know, let's say you're, you're selling a cookie and you have flour. Every wheat farmer that sells you grain that eventually goes into your cookies needs to be certified, inspected annually, and meet a set of production practices that require, you know, that you're doing those preventative practices that cover cropping, all those climate smart practices, crop rotations, all that on your farm. You're not using prohibited um, uh, pesticides or, 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 or synthetic fertilizers. And that that's all happening as you harvest that farm, they're checking your harvest records. And then that goes and you, you sell that on to a, a grain elevator, to a grain miller. Those both need to be certified. So they're checking mm. to make sure that they're, you know, what they're buying is what they're selling, that their um, cleanup procedures are not commingling that grain with conventional grain, that they're um, not contaminating it with uh, sanitizers or cleaning agents or fumigants or anything else like that. And then they, you know, let's say they sell that on to a trader or someone else and it eventually gets to the bakery that's going to make that cookies. That same requirements there for every ingredient in the chocolate chips, and the sugar, and the right. uh, butter, all that across the board, all that comes together. That bakery also needs to be certified and, you know, inspected and required. And there's labeling requirements for both ingredients that they can put into that cookie, same kind of cleaning and management and, and commingling requirements. And then how they label that, you know, is also, you know, has standards against it as well. So it is an extremely robust process. And it's meant to bring trust across these complex supply chains where it's not reasonable for you to pick up, say, uh, a cookie or a piece of bread and know you're a wheat farmer because there's hundreds of them that go into that process and they probably live across the country from you. Um, And so, you know, this gives you, that seal gives you a chance to know a little bit about those production practices and even some of these, you know, processed products that you will never be able to get to that farm level for every single ingredient that you have. Right, right. But I I noticed also on your website sort of to build on that whole uh, process is that there will be that you are promoting a new strengthening organic enforcement rule um, to counter organic food fraud. So that that, of course, made me wonder how, you know, with with the process that you just described as to how products are certified, um, how rampant is organic food fraud? I mean, I personally speaking, I can imagine that it's pretty widespread, but I could be wrong. Yeah, so of those certified entities, there's 46,000 certified entities across the, the globe today, certified to the National Organic um, Program here at the USDA standard. Of that in this last year, you know, so 46,000, there was 106 cases of, you know, fraud with some level of, of serious enforcement. So that's like 0.2%. It's a really mm-hmm. small number. And so it's always important to remember that the vast number 
of organic operations out there are doing the right thing, are doing the hard work, and are making a product that every every consumer expects to get when they when they pick up that organic uh, product off the shelf. Right. The other thing to really uh, keep in mind here, though, is organic is also the only eco label out there that comes with federal enforcement, and so it's the only label that you'll hear about these enforcement issues in the first place. So we're kind of held to a different standard. We take fraud seriously because we take the trust with the consumer very seriously. And so we are always looking to, to drive that number down as low as possible. But there's always going to be bad actors, whether it's you know inorganic or it's in you know banking or, or finance sector or whatever. There's always going to be someone trying to take advantage of a system. So we always need to be vigilant and, and, and updating ourselves against the latest threats. But we're also the only one that you'll hear about it in this kind of area, because when you look at natural or regenerative or any of these other claims, there's there's no federal enforcement. There's there's no newsworthy story about something that happens to them when they do something fraudulent. Where in organic, you'll go to jail. You'll have wow. you know, uh, millions of dollars of fines. Um, and it's really the only one that has any teeth that comes to it. So it's, you know, as much as uh, folks like to talk about it, it's also the only one that I think you can really trust as a consumer. Because if someone's breaking the rules, you don't have to take Tom Chapman's word for it. You know, the federal government will come after you. Um, Department of Justice. And, you know, there are folks sitting behind jail for breaking the organic rules. You can't say that for natural. Oh, no. Well, I don't consider natural to even mean anything. It's yeah. just a marketing word. I mean, I think I think at this point, many consumers have figured out that that natural is a meaningless term. You know, I mean, you'd, you'd you'd be surprised at the amount of confusion still out there between the term organic really? and natural. Yeah, and there's a lot of consumers who still apply all the attributes of organic and, and think that's there in natural when it's just not. Wow, and it's and it's really just a marketing term because it has no. I mean, it doesn't actually mean anything as far as I can tell. I mean, natural, yeah. you know, yes, it's, it's, there's milk in it. That's natural, I guess, but, you know, <laughs> right? I mean, it's, you know, it's like, hard for me to consider it a marketing term in the sense that, you know, it doesn't even, it doesn't hold much meaning behind it. So if you don't know what it means, you know, what, what is it? It's just a, it's just a word. Yeah. It's just a word that makes you feel good, you know, especially if you're feeding it to your kids. Yeah. <laughs> You know, what's natural is like an apple, you know? (laughs) So, um, but so how, how do the organic producers protect themselves now? Like, you know, okay, there's not that many cases of this uh, going on, but, you know, since you pointed out that it is the only sector that actually gets any press when something goes wrong, like how do producers fight back against having their reputation smeared like that? I mean, just as a broad, you know, as a industry wide, not, not like individually, like, Oh my God, I know that was about me, but it wasn't. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, consumers can make their voice heard with their, with their congressmen that, that they expect, you know, strict enforcement uh, on, on organic standards, much like we do as a trade association. But really, I mean, I think consumers protect themselves by looking for organic, you know, it is the only product that has the protections, the enforcement, a clear standard behind it. So look for that organic seal. It's the it's the label they can trust. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like the way you said that, Tom. That was very official. <laughs> <laughs> so is there more that people should be aware of? Like, I mean, let's talk about your website, for instance, because it had a lot of really good data on it. Yeah. Um, t- you know, tell people a little bit more about 
what they can learn on your website and, and what they can do to like really understand what they're buying when they buy. Yeah. If they're looking to find out more about organic, if they're looking to learn more about the standards or learn more about what's the latest going on, you can go to OTA.com. Our news center has a lot of the most relevant latest news. You know, we are a trade association as well. So we're focusing a lot of our news towards, towards our members as well. We also have, um, a nonprofit underneath us called the Organic Center. Uh, they run research and also consumer education on the benefits of organic. So if they're looking to learn more about you know what organic does for the environment, for personal health, for the quality of the food product themselves, then they can click over to that or go to theorganiccenter.com um, and find out more information there as well. Amazing. It's an, it's how much has this industry grown since you got involved? I mean, you've been doing this for obviously quite a while, two to three decades at this point. What do you, what have you seen as the trend? Yeah, I mean, it was one billion when the Organic Food Production Act was passed in 1990. It was nine billion when the organic standards were rolled out in 2002, and it's an over 67 billion dollar marketplace today. So wow. it has grown dramatically. And it's just amazing to see what, you know, what you can do in a voluntary market where producers want to produce a certain way and consumers want to consume a certain way, uh, have the opportunity to, you know, be met up with a standard that allows that trust to happen. Right. I mean, it it is an amazing story and it it sort of gives me hope about the food system in general to say that in the course of some 30 years, You've gone from a nine billion dollar or a one billion dollar industry to a sixty something billion dollar industry. You know, it says a lot about what people want out of their food system, and I'm hoping that that will, and you know, that people will be encouraged more and more to turn away from conventional products, especially snack food. You know, all the stuff that makes us so unhealthy as a nation. Um, you know, to see that kind of trajectory in a 30-year period, maybe we'll see a much better food system in 30 more years, or organic will just take over the marketplace, although I don't think that will happen. But <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, with a little bit more research and, and a little bit more investment, who knows, you know, when we look at the headwinds against organic, it's the, the price is, is one of those, but it's also there because so little research, you know, goes into organic. We get about 0.1% of USA research dollars were six percent of the retail marketplace and so when you look at that you know all the research all the development it's going into conventional agriculture and that's not particularly applicable to organic but when you look at organic and you see a lot of latest you know trends coming out in conventional agriculture it's the adoption of cover crops and crop rotations which have been in organic and inorganic research from the get-go so you know you know, we do need a bit more research and with that research and, and, you know, if we focus it more on organic production systems, who knows how productive these systems could be in, you know, another 20 to 30 years from now. Well, right. And if they put as much money behind them as they do behind conventional agriculture, well, how do you, before I let you go, let me just ask you one more question. How does the Biden administration stack up on this? Like the coal climate smart partnerships, which I have very mixed feelings about but um you know i think it's a good idea but no enforcement as far as i can tell and i don't know a lot of money going into the pockets of like corteva and dow dupont so, you know. yeah yeah i mean the Biden administration have been good partners they've been moving forward some some standards for us they they launched their organic transition initiative to support you know greater organic uh, transition and production and supply chains here in the u.s 
And they've been really pushing for, for organic as, as an area that brings greater resiliency to the farm economy. Where I'd love to see them step up further is in the climate smart area. You know, when they they talk about climate smart, they often leave organic out of, of the, the language. And we're really a part of the solution and it needs to be recognized. Right, right. Tom, thank you so much. People go to the OTA website. What is OTA.com? OrganicTradeAssociation.com. OTA.com. Yeah. Yeah. And learn more about this. This is great stuff. Really interesting discussion. Thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. And thanks to all my listeners for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Have a good one. What Doesn't Kill You? Food Industry Insights is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.